How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. I think everybody knows that I'm the prettier twin and I'm the more charismatic twin. You are locked on fantasy basketball. Your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Fantrax and Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd, as it always is. And as always, you can find me on Twitter at RedRock underscore b-ball we're here today to break down sunday's action and also to look ahead to monday's four games for dfs which will be later on in the show what we're going to do also before we get into looking at sunday's games just talk about the week ahead for you people who are in weekly lock leagues and people who are looking for you know maybe streaming strategies for the week ahead so we'll have a quick overview of the schedule look at the seven games from sunday and then preview monday's games as well so let's get to it to it also, I want to give a quick shout-out on Twitter, or not on Twitter, I'll give a shout-out here, to Barry Baker, who is a, an avid listener and, and Twitter follower, and Barry is keeping a record of all of the monstrous lines of the night, waiver wire line of the night, young gun, and dud of the night. He's keeping a record for every podcast, so Barry, I will definitely be calling on you during the season to uh, to get some results from some of those after maybe a couple of weeks, we'll, we'll touch base and get some results there, but thank you to Barry for collating the, uh, it's something I should do myself, but I always forget. Barry's already got it under control, so thank you, Baz, for getting that done. All right, let's talk the let's talk what's happening in the uh, in the upcoming week. Week one is done. Hopefully, you guys in your seasonal leagues had some big victories. Um, now, when we look at, we've got a, a full week going. We only had the six days last week. We've got uh, we've got seven. Of course, coming up this week, we start off with a really small Monday, only four games. So that's going to be a situation where you know, anyone that you bring off the waiver wire, it's going to uh, they're going to be in your active lineup. I like to look at it is if you've got less than eight games on a day, then you can bring guys in no problem and play them. Eight is touch and go, and over eight means they're likely going to sit on your bench. So we've got three days this week with eight or more games, meaning the teams that play on those days. If you add players from those from those teams that play on Tuesday where we've got nine games, Wednesday where we've got 10 games and Saturday, oh, sorry, Friday where we've got nine games and Saturday where we've got eight games. It's actually four days this week. You'll find it hard to use a waiver wire addition because most likely your 10 active spots are going to be filled up. So we've got four games on Monday, nine on Tuesday, 10 on Wednesday. So if you look at teams that play Tuesday, Wednesday, go, oh, I'm going to add this guy. Yeah, chances are they don't actually fit into your best 10 players and might not get might not get a spot, and that's a worthless waiver wire ad. Where you've got to be looking is Thursday's got five games. I said Monday's got four, and the weekend is going to be key. We've got Saturday with eight and Sunday with six. Now, the eight's a touch-and-go one. Most times, you will be able to fit the guy into your active lineup with eight, and the six on Sunday is, is a definite. So what you want to look at is you want to look at which teams play that back-to-back on, that, on the weekend, and there are three of those. There's the Kings which we'll talk about in a sec, there's the Bucks and the Nuggets. So, you know, across the weekend, 
adding a guy, say, on a Friday when you might not even be able to get them into your lineup, but but getting them ready for Saturday, Sunday, Wilson Chandler, Kenneth Fareed, if he's available, you might be able to get some value there. Um, Gary Harris could be back by that time, we hope, and he might be getting some minutes. These are Nuggets guys. For the Bucks guys, maybe you add John Henson for some defensive numbers. Dalva Dover should be owned anyway, but that's an extra opportunity to add him there. Maybe you add someone like um, Mirza Taletovic. Maybe you look at my boy Malcolm Brogdon, although he's not getting a great goal of things at the moment. But these are guys that will be able to get in uh, over that time frame. Now, I mentioned that I talk about the Kings. We'll talk about them now because they're the only team this week that plays five games. So you know, some of their fringe guys are, are key ads. Ty Lawson, obviously, he should have been owned already, but it's great this week. But you, know, how, you do also have to look, okay, is five games actually five games? And for the Kings, it's it, it basically is. You've got them playing on Monday, awesome. Thursday, awesome. Saturday, awesome. Sunday, awesome. So you're going to get four games out of these guys. It's not a situation where they're playing five games and they're all concentrated on their heavy volume day. So it's not like that we're seeing them on on Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, and you're going to go, oh, I'm not even going to add these guys. It works out brilliantly for the Kings. So Ty Lawson, yes. Matty Barnes, yes. He needs to be owned. He should probably be owned anyway. He needs to be owned. You could even throw an argument in for someone like Costa Kufos, and I think it's a reasonable argument if you're going to get at least four games out of Costa, that might work in your favor. Um, Aaron Aflalo, Willie Cauley-Stein, Garrett Temple, Omri Caspi. It's harder to recommend those guys. They're more your 14-team league guys. So even five games out of Aflalo, which might even turn into four games, is not a great situation in a daily changes league. In a weekly league, five games might push him into a 12-team consideration, but not necessarily. So they're the team with five games. The four-game teams, we've got the Hawks, the Bulls, the Nuggets, the Clippers, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, Bucks, Knicks, Suns, Blazers, Raptors, and Jazz. And then to look at the negative side of things, the Nets, the Celtics. These are three-game teams. Nets, Celtics, Cavs, Mavs, Pistons, Warriors, Rockets, Pacers, Wolves, Pelicans, Thunder, Magic, Sixers, Spurs, and Wizards. And at the bottom of the pile with only two games, the Hornets and the Heat. You shouldn't be holding on to Roy Hibbert if you are. The two games, is not he's not even playing, and the two games isn't going to work for you. You might be forced into a drop of, say, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and that's a, that's a reasonable decision because he is a, a back-end-of-your-bench sort of player anyway. On the Heat, I would still be keeping Justice Winslow. He had another good game today. A stinker in the middle, but two good games and, and, and not a great one. Obviously, Derek Williams is not in the rotation. No point in holding on to him. I'd say even if you had Tyler Johnson, I would move on from Tyler Johnson. He's more of a streamer than a let's absolutely hold this guy and move forward. Um, and depending on what news we hear on Joshy Richardson, I'd even consider dropping him. I, I personally, myself, would keep him, but if you're in... If you're getting antsy and you go, I've got other injured guys, I need to get someone in. And even if he plays, he'll be playing at half speed for two games. It's not really going to work in my favor. I can understand moving on from Joshy Richardson. So that's how the games break down for this week. But as I mentioned, when you're looking at uh, when you're looking at a daily changes league, it's not necessarily about volume of games. It's about when those games are. So the Kings have got it great, but look at the Hawks. They play four games, but only two of them are on low volume nights. So a Thabocephalosha ad might be great, but you might use him twice. Whereas the Nuggets, they play four games and they're all on they're on the four low volume nights. So you could get four games out of Wilson Chandler versus two games out of Thabocephalosha. The Blazers play four games and they've got one game on a on a low volume night. That's not ideal. So, 
an ad of Mo Harkless makes sense if he plays four games and in a weekly lock league, yeah, that might work. Or Evan Turner or Alan Crabb or, or Mason Plumley or any of these guys. I like Plumley more for long-term situations. But in a daily changes league, you add Harkless, you might use him once. You know, where you should be favoring the team like the Bucks, who have got four games but three usable ones. The Nuggets have got four games but four usable ones. Even a team like the Pacers only plays three times, but you can actually use those guys twice. Same as the Cavs, same as the Wolves, same as the Celtics, same as the Thunder. They only play three games, but two of them will be usable, whereas the Blazers, the Lakers, the Grizzlies, the Knicks, the Jazz all play four games, but three of them come on heavy scheduled nights, and it always just depends on how your team looks. But in general, you're not going to be able to use them for most of those nights. Probably only one as a guaranteed uh, usable, usable setting for those players. The Pelicans play three games, and they're all on the heavy volume nights. So even if you're looking to add Buddy Heald, which I don't recommend you do, Etwan Moore, um, Alexia Jinsa, you might not be able to use these guys at all. So that is that is important. It is not just volume of games, although it is in a weekly changes league. In a daily changes league, it's not, because no point adding a guy that's going to play four games, and sit on your bench for three of them. You might as well add a guy that plays one game. And again, it's all about streaming and working out when guys can fit in and and, uh, and how they work out during the, during the course of the week. Okay, let's move on from schedule and let's talk about Russell Westbrook because he is the monstrous line of the night. I don't think many people would, uh, would be surprised to see Westbrook up there with the monstrous line of the night. <clears throat> he put up his, uh, his second triple-double, of the season. He's going at a record pace at the moment. 33 points, 12 rebounds, 16 assists. He hit five threes, which is huge for Westbrook on six attempts as well. He had a steal. He had a block. He was six of six from the line and he was 11 of 21 from the field. These are obviously fantastic numbers. He's going at a crazy rate, but the Thunder are undefeated. They also look shaky in two games. So I'm not sure if he's going to be able to maintain this usage rate of over 40, which he currently sports. I think it does tend to come down a bit. Um, and the Thunder are lucky that he's there, but I'm not sure the, I'm pretty confident he's not going to be able to keep this pace up for the entirety of the season, but he's going awesomely at the moment. The field goal percentage, which you knew was going to be a concern heading into the season is obviously there. So that's, that is what it is. And and in rotisserie leagues, that might be hard to, to deal with, but he was awesome today, shooting 52% and obviously racking up the other numbers. He's you might look at him, look at him and say, "Well, Westbrook must be the number one player this season." He's actually not at the moment. Yeah, Davis is up there. Westbrook comes in at third. He's averaging thirty nine points, twelve rebounds, twelve assists, a steal, and two point seven threes on forty five and eighty one. So really, really good numbers across the board. But you'd have to imagine the points drop, and you would imagine the field goal percentage dips to a degree as well. But it's it's you know, I'm nitpicking. I'm trying to find. I'm not trying to. I'm I'm getting through this stuff with Westbrook and you. Know, this might be a negative, but yeah, what he's doing is is amazing. There was some concern from some people that without KD, who would he be able to pass to or get it, to get assists? That's obviously not a concern. He's racking up the assists without really any any worries at all. He's aggressively rebounding. He's doing a, a lot of stuff, and it's super fun to watch if you're a Thunder fan. And if you own Westbrook in fantasy, it's also it's also been a, a huge amount, a monstrous amount of fun. In fact. The waiver wire line of the night. Dirk Nowitzki pulled a shifty on us all. He um, last minute, like really last minute, about 
30 seconds before tip-off, the news came out that Dirk wasn't playing with that stomach illness acting up. He's also dealing with a sore Achilles, so that is not great for a 38-year-old. But when the news came out of the sore Achilles, Dirk's got a sore Achilles, but he's going to play through it. He's fine. He's ready to go. You know, 10 minutes later, sorry, not playing because of his stomach. So that was an issue. Now, the Mavericks didn't go back and start J.J. Breyer. They started Seth Curry. But it didn't matter. Barea was clearly the more impressive player. He had 18 points. He is the waiver wire line of the night, JJ Barea. 18 points with three triples. He had three rebounds and five assists. Grabbed two steals. Perfect seven of seven from the free throw line and was four of 10 from the field. And he's had a, a remarkably good start to the season, Barea. Um, is it possible that he keeps it going? Well, we know that Devin Harris isn't going to be around for a while. We know that Seth Curry has really struggled so far in Dallas. He went scoreless in his 24-minute start today. He hasn't had a good game. Barea, they're using him in smaller lineups a lot. So, yeah, uh, he's not a, he's not a horrible option. He's putting out some pretty uh, some some pretty decent numbers. He's ranked as a top 50 guy at the moment. He's averaging 33 minutes a night, averaging over five assists. You could you can do a lot worse than adding JJ Barea. But common sense and, and our sort of thought process looks back at, at Barea and goes, he's not averaging 33 minutes a night moving. Well, maybe he is. Maybe he's just taking all of Ray Felton's minutes from last year. I, I just find it hard to believe that we're going to be seeing 33 minutes of J.J. Barea every game moving forward. It just doesn't feel like that's a, a realistic expectation at this point. The young gun of the night. D'Angelo Russell, he uh, he dropped 20, he hit four triples, had five rebounds and five assists, grabbed a couple of steals, not a great shooting night, seven of 20, was a perfect two of two from the line, but overall, it's a uh, it's a big performance from Russell, it's good to see him getting the 31 minutes, leading the team in scoring, leading the team in shooting, or in shot attempts as well, that's what you want out of Russell, he started a little bit slow, but I, I do have faith in him bouncing back, and this is a, a really good start along that uh along that path to, to regaining some of the value that saw him get drafted inside the top 45. I've got no doubt that he will end the season in that range. Just again, a little bit of a slow start and always these these opening games skew sample sizes significantly both ways. So a really nice performance from D'Angelo Russell and the Lakers, they kept it relatively close against the Thunder. The Thunder got the big victory in the end, but they were they were more competitive than what you would have seen out of this team last season. The dart of the night. Pains me when it's one of my boys that comes up as the dart of the night, but Rod Hood really struggled for the Utah Jazz. Only the five points. He hit a three. He had three rebounds, but no assists, no steals, no blocks, and went two of ten. And the fact that he only took ten shots is is not great for, for Utah. He needs to be taking more shots than that. Look, they only took 73 shots as a team, and they were... They got smashed by the by the Clippers, only scored 75 points, but Hood needs to be taking more shots than that. Only him and George Hill shot in double digits. Just not enough happening offensively for this team, but not a good night from Hood. They were blown out in that second, uh, sorry, start of the second half, the Jazz, um, and that did limit some of these guys' minutes when the game was out of hand in that second second half in the, the fourth quarter in particular when we saw guys like Harl Neto and Joel Bollenboy make their NBA debuts. So I wouldn't be too concerned about the 28 minutes, but not not a good performance from Rod. In terms of the uh, the bonehead coaching decision of the of the day, uh, not much to really complain about today. Look, you could say, why is Nick Young playing so many minutes? But I thought he did okay today. There wasn't anything that really stood out as being, this is horrible, this is really bad. Kenny Atkinson had the day off, so that takes away one of our uh, one of our guys that we could use there. But overall, not not a terrible coaching performance. 
Let's move in now and have a look at these games in a little bit more detail. The first one is that Utah Jazz game and the Los Angeles Clippers. George Hill continues to thrive. Now, is it just duly, or solely due to the fact that he is away from Paul George and Monte Ellis? That's a big part of it. Or is his usage and the stats that he's putting up influenced by Gordon Hayward not being there? That's part of it too. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle, but more leaning towards its escaping Indiana's system that's allowing Hill to put up these numbers. He has 18, 2, and 3 here with two steals and two threes and looking really good. Now, Haywood is going to take some of this off him when he comes back, and Alec Burks may have some of an impact as well, but George Hill is looking really comfortable in Utah. Rudy Gobert, not his best night, but he did hit both his free throws, so that's a positive. Only four shot attempts for Gobert. Eight points, nine rebounds, two blocks. Yeah, they're not bad. Joe Johnson... Um, look, showing us again that that opening night performance was fool's gold. It was never going to continue. Seven points and three assists for him. The important thing, I think, to view uh, from the Jazz point of view is that Dante Exum played 26 minutes. After being an afterthought in the first game, Exum has played 20-plus minutes in each of the last two. He scored 10. He was the second top scorer on this team. Two, two rebounds, two assists, and a steal, and actually played as the point guard for a bit, which is the first time that he's done that all season. So, I wouldn't be shocked if he climbs into 14-team relevance by the end of the year. Trey Lyles, there's no point in holding him in 12-team leagues. Derek Favors is back. Lyles is, is struggling defensively, especially. Favors played 23 minutes and went 5-11, and 11, while Lyles had 7-5. and five. He's just not going to get enough minutes to be a contributor in uh, in standard leagues, at least at this point in his career. And Boris Diaw continues to start while Favors gets going, and he put up one rebound in 19 minutes. And not just, I'm only, not only highlighting that because he only had one rebound, he, that is all he had. He had no shots, sorry, he had no points, no threes, no assists, no steals, no blocks. His box score is one rebound. The fact that he's starting, it means absolutely, this is worse than a Luke Marmute starting performance. And we'll get onto Luke Marmute in a second. Onto the Clippers, Chris Paul only had the nine points, but he only played 29 minutes. The game, as I said, was a blowout, so no one needed to play much. 9-3-9 and nine with four steals for Paul, so still a good performance. Austin Rivers got red hot. He had 19 points on just 11 shots, hitting seven of those. Two threes, but he doesn't do much in the other areas. He's more a 14-team league guy, Austin Rivers, than he is a 12-team guy at this point in his career. But the fact that he's there, Jamal Crawford, Ray Felton, they're all going to limit what J.J. Reddick can do, and they're going to limit any impact that Alan Anderson, Mamute, Wes Johnson will do at the three. They're just going to spread you know, 25 minutes to about five or six guys across the two and the three, and he's going to limit what Reddick can do. Now, Reddick played under 28 minutes. He had nine points and two steals. Not a big night from him. DeAndre Jordan suffered a sprained thumb. He did return to the game, and x-rays were negative, so that's good news there. Only the 28 minutes for Jordan, and his field goal percentage has been terrible. Not free throw percentage, that's been terrible, but field goal percentage. He was only 3 of 10 for 7 points, 16 boards and a block. That will revert, so don't panic too much. That that will come back into, into focus. Wes Johnson had 2 blocks in his 19 minutes, and Ma Mute, I said I was going to talk about him, well, he had 3 points and 4 rebounds. So he's a, him and Boris Diaw as starters combined for 3 points and 5 rebounds just shows that the, the designation of starter doesn't necessarily mean much. It's more how it all, uh, how it all fits in with, uh, with the rotations and the playing time that they're going to get. The next game that's up, the San Antonio Spurs and the Miami Heat. I thought that Pop was going to consider resting Paul Gasol in this one. I almost called him Paul Aldridge. He was going to consider resting Paul Gasol. He didn't. He rested LaMarcus Aldridge in this one as well, saying that he had a bit of knee soreness. My ass, Pop. 
Kawhi Leonard, 27-2-6, a triple one, a big night from him in less than 30 minutes, and Pau Gasol actually had a huge night, especially considering what he did in the first three games. 31 minutes, easily a season high, 20-11, a three and two blocks. That should ease the concern of Pau Gasol owners somewhat, but I imagine when Aldridge comes back, the Gasol's minutes will come down a little bit because yeah, playing those two big minutes together is probably not a winning formula uh, although they've won each game, so I'm not sure how much it's not a winning formula, but not sure how much Pop loves them both playing 30 minutes. But Power getting a bit more acclimatized. He's looked better in the last two games, and the minutes were back up here. I just don't think he'll be getting 31 in the next one. Paddy Mills got hot. He was 18 points in 25 minutes. And Tony Parker, there's no reason to own Tony Parker in 12-team leagues. And to be honest, he's a borderline 14-team league guy at the moment. Dave Lee started in place of Aldridge, went 8 and 11 in 25 minutes. Obviously, just a deeper league guy, while a nice 9 and 8 from Dwayne Dedman in 16 minutes. And surprisingly, Manu Ginobili played 28 minutes. Huge total after resting, uh, resting Saturday's game. 4 and 6 for Ginobili with two steals. Kyle Anderson, John Simmons, they were, they were, Anderson was a hot pickup before the season started because of the four game week. Simmons was a hot pickup after uh, opening night. 5 1 and 1 for Anderson, 6 2 and 3 for Simmons. They're going to still get minutes in the 20s until Danny Green comes back, but you're going to be better off using that spot as a streaming spot in a standard league or adding someone else just for the rest of the season than, than either of these two guys. So nothing to do, nothing to really see. They're good to see Davis Bertans have another yeah, decent game. He hit a couple of threes. He, he's a dead eye shooter, and he, he's going to be that guy that you just need some threes. Let's hope he gets 10 minutes and hits us two. That, that can definitely happen for Bertans. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details. Hassan Whiteside was a monster, 27 and 15, four blocks, one steal. But the best thing is he went to the line 10 times and hit seven of them. Now, that's still not great. That's still a negative in the free throw percentage category, but it's not five of 10, which is what he was doing previous to that. So an improvement there. Goran Dragic also dropped 25. And Justice Winslow, I talked about him earlier, he had a, a big game, 18 and 5, two steals and a block, took 15 shots. He's obviously more involved offensively. It took him a while for a shot to actually fall in. I think his first points were on a goal tend, but he built it up. The, the defensive numbers are coming. I'm liking what I'm seeing from Winslow. He should be owned in all leagues, obviously, at this point. Dion Waiters continues to play minutes and do nothing with them, 9, 2, and 3, but did give us a steal and a block. When Joshy Richardson is back in business, I can't see Waiters getting anywhere near this run. I think that he seeds a lot of his minutes, probably 10 minutes or so of his go to Richardson, and basically all of Rodney Magruder's minutes go to Josh Richardson when he's uh, when he's back in business. Still no Derek Williams, still no Josh McRoberts. So Luke, Luke Babbitt is starting at the uh, at the four. He only played the 25 minutes, and the Heat went with a situation where they go Tyler Johnson, Dion Waiters, Justice Winslow at the two, three, and four, and that's probably their best line. Up and that's where the minutes are going to come. Tyler Johnson, not with a two-game week coming up. If you've got him in a 12-team league, I reckon you can do, you can do better than Tyler Johnson. The Milwaukee Bucks and the Detroit Pistons. Giannis just a 17, 8 and 8 with three blocks tonight. Not a great shooting night for Giannis, and that dragged him down a bit. Five of 13, but the, the stats are there. And Delavadova getting it done again. 
10, 2, and 5 with two threes. I touched on him earlier and said that you've got to make sure you're owning him. He's, he's getting assists. He's playing minutes. Nobody's threatening him there. Let's talk wings first. Tony Snell is really bad. 26 minutes for Snell, 4 and 4 with a steal. Um, he's really bad. Rashad Vaughn is equally as bad. 5 points in 22 minutes with 3 steals. At least he gave you 3 steals. Neither of these guys are good. Malcolm Brogdon is the guy that needs to take these minutes off these players. I, I don't know when it will happen because I have zero faith in Jason Kidd being a good coach. So let's see how this plays out. But Snell or Vaughn in a 12-team league, not a shot. In a 14-team league, probably not even there. Jason Kidd's lost faith in Mirza Talitovic. Only the four, 16 minutes for him, 2-2. Two and two. He was a, an interesting guy at the start of the year, but that's obviously fallen off. And this is the conundrum with Greg Munro. 29 minutes opening night. 19 and then 18 in the next two games. Now, he had 11 and 5 in 18 minutes, but people were taking him with a, a top 60 pick. And that's great if he gets 29 minutes, but Jason Kidd's not going to do that. He went with John Henson for 12 minutes after Henson looked great in the last game. Miles Plumley went from 8 to 17 minutes, and the center position is just in general a mess. So, do you drop Greg Munro? No, you don't do that just yet. But there could come a time during this season when you do that. You know it's going to be an up and down situation, um, and, and it was never a great idea to, to use him to use a mid round pick on him. On the Pistons side of things, Andre Drummond another twenty rebound game, twenty points, twenty three boards, two steals, and three blocks. A great performance, and actually went four of eight from the free throw line, which is a, which is huge for him. And I talked about this extensively yesterday. Contavious Caldwell Pope, when he has a couple of turds in a row, he'll come out and he'll have a big game. So he's likely to have probably a big game in the next time out as well. Twenty-one and six with two threes and two steals on seven of thirteen shooting. This is just what KCP does. He just is streaky like this. And then when he has a bad one, expect a couple of bad ones in a row. Toby Harris, 16-5-2 with a couple of steals. That was a good performance. And Benno Udry also was solid, 6-3-6. And, and you can do worse in your 14-team leagues to get a guy like Udry who's going to play around 20, 18 to 20 minutes, and get you five assists or so. That is useful. Ishmith went, started off really well and and did what he does. 11-2-7, but 5-17. of 17. No, Under no circumstance should, should Ishmith be leading your team in shot attempts when you've got Harris, Corwell Pope, Drummond, Marcus Morris, Stanley Johnson, I'll throw any of those guys out there. No way Ish Smith should be shooting the ball 17 times and these other guys you know, shooting it less. It, it makes no sense, Ish. He's a really not a good player. He'll be suited into a 16-minute backup role when Reggie Jackson finally comes back. But for now, unfortunately, he's running things, and that was not good. But they got the victory, so it, it's hard to complain too much about it. The Golden State Warriors and the Phoenix Suns. The Suns got off to a red-hot start in this one. I think they had about a 16-0 run at one point. The Warriors climbed back, though, and got the victory. Kevin Durant, another 37 points, four rebounds, four assists, four steals, and one block. Ridiculous efficiency, 10 of 16 from the field and 15 of 16 from the line. He is not suffering at all. 38 minutes, there's no minutes restrictions or anything. He's playing a lot. Steph was also on fire to start the game, 28-1-3 with five triples on super high shooting percentages too. So he looks uh, good, not quite as good as the starters last year, but still solid. Clay Thompson struggling, can't hit a three. I think he's at 18% on the season for his threes, 14-6 and six with a block. He will get better. This is yeah, He goes in the buy low category. And I'll say it again for you guys who, because apparently people just don't listen to podcasts on the weekend because the, the, always there's always less listeners on the in the weekend. And if you got if you're someone who doesn't listen on the weekend, just download the podcast anyway. Just boost the numbers up. Just download it. You don't have to listen to it. Download it anyway. Anyway, 
I talked about him. I talked about buy low guys. A buy low guy for Clay Thompson is not saying I'll give you Evan Fournier for Clay Thompson. That's not buy low because there's a, there's a realistic chance that Fournier could he- finish ahead of where of where uh, Clay Thompson is. You know, D'Angelo Russell for Clay Thompson is not a buy low. A buy low is Contavious Caldwell Pope for Clay Thompson. A, a buy low is I always struggle at coming up for names. This a buy low is someone who's in the eighties, and and if someone goes well. Thompson's just getting frozen out. He can't shoot anymore. The chemistry's wrong, whatever. Someone will panic and make that move. That's a buy low. And that's what you should be trying to attack with with Clay Thompson. Not much else to really talk about with the Warriors. Andre Iguodala doesn't do anything with his numbers. Draymond, just the five points, but still three blocks, nine assists, 13 rebounds. Exactly why you drafted him. And Zaza Pachulia grabbed 10 boards in 22 minutes. Onto the Suns, Tony Warren Jr., Another big scoring night, and he's really expanded his game. Two triples, 26 points, six boards, one steal, one block. Obviously has to be owned everywhere. This was always looming as a potential breakout for him. He's gotten healthy, and he's he's a focal point of this team, and he is one of the best pure scorers in the game, just as a guy that, that gets buckets. Not shooters, not players, just someone who can score. And he took comfortably the most shots on this uh, on this team. Eric Bledsoe looks almost back in business. He was a top 20 guy before his knee injury last season. So he's uh, steamrolling along. 21-5-6 with a steal and a three. Good numbers from him. Well, Jared Dudley had three steals in his 27 minutes. Now, Tyson Chandler played 38 minutes in the Suns' last game and played 28 minutes here. That doesn't feel sustainable long-term. Eight points for Chandler, 18 boards. That's a really good number. You know that he's going to be an influencer in the field goal percentage category, and he's going to get you some rebounds. But do I want him in a 12-team league? Maybe short-term. Alex Lynn showed us that he can still block shots, three of them here with eight rebounds and a steal, but only 18 minutes and two of seven shooting. I still believe in Lynn. I still think he's the better option, but Earl Watson doesn't agree with me. So that means that you can't really own Alex Lynn. Decent night from Marquise Chris, 7-4. And, four. and for, for guys who were out of the rotation, Leandro Barbosa and PJ Tucker, they were conspicuous by the fact that they played 24, 23 combined minutes. That's not out of the rotation, especially when they're in, in the first quarter, Earl Watson. He either changed his mind really quickly or he needs a lesson on the definition of, of the phrase out of the rotation. Because when someone's out of the rotation, they don't play more than the two guys who are in the rotation, Tyler Eulis and Dragon Bender, and they definitely don't come in in the first quarter. So that situation looks like it's going to be fluid. Eulis played all... Since since Earl Watson came out and said Tyler Eulis is in the rotation, he has played less than two minutes combined in two games. If that's in the rotation, I'm, I'm not sure what out of it is. Obviously, Bender, Eulis, Tucker, Barbosa have no real place in a standard league. Now, Devin Booker, put him with Clay Thompson. I know I hate the Clay Thompson comparisons with Devin Booker, but for this exercise, yeah, he's a buy low guy. He's struggling big time. Three of 12 shooting, seven points, two assists, and a block. And this comes back to what I had to clarify last week. He is not a good shooter yet. He, He's 19. I know that. He did stuff as a scorer last season that, the 19-year-olds, the only 19-year-olds that did it were like LeBron and Kobe, I think. Maybe Mallow. Maybe not Mallow, because I don't think Mallow was a 19-year-old. But the stuff that he did as a 19-year-old was great as a scorer. But he is not a good shooter. Yet. He could be. He's not yet. And it shows up. 3 of 12 shooting here. Um, his defense is still an issue. He will be better, but he is definitely a buy-low guy at this point because I've literally had people coming to me, do I drop Booker to add someone? Like, no, you don't drop Devin Booker. No, after three games, we, we don't drop him. 
But this is the level of panic some people are having or the thought process that some people are having. Oh, he's shit. Drop him. We we move very quick. We, as a general basketball-watching public, move very quickly. He's the best. He's, the, he's the unreal. He's a shooter. He's Clay Thompson. He's going to be the best. He's garbage. Get rid of him in the space of like a week when the reality is it's in the middle. And he's got potential to be good. And I think I think he's going to be better than this this season. But he is not a good shooter yet. We we it, he is not. And until he becomes one, which he may never do, he's not. There is zero evidence to tell us that he is a good shooter. He can score. He can do a lot of special things. But he is really struggling at the moment. And. You know, we'll see. We'll see how things happen. But I think the fact that Warren's there will ease a little bit of pressure on him and Bledsoe getting back to form. Brandon Knight's form, not so great. Nine points in 26 minutes. He's still holdable, but let's watch this space to see how they continue to run him. If they're giving him 25 minutes a night, it's going to be really tough to hold on to Brandon Knight long-term. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Oklahoma City Thunder. Julius Randle with another big night. 20-9 and nine with three assists and three steals. I'm happy to be proven wrong with Julius Randle. I still don't believe in him long-term as a player. Some of the things that he was doing, the defense on him was invisible. It was just, it was putrid. He got uh, DeMontis Sabonis into foul trouble early. He was basically just waltzing into the key on his own. They just find the ball, give the ball to him, and he just turns around and, and dumps it in. It was laughably easy, but good on him. He made the most of it. Luke Walton clearly likes him. He's going to be up and down. He's not going to be 7 of 10 on most nights, but he's handling the ball a bit better. He's doing some more defensive stuff. Good on him. I like that. Nick Young, Swaggy P, 30 minutes. I can't believe we're living in a world where Nick Young is starting and playing 30 minutes on a team. 16 points for Swaggy, 3 threes, 3 rebounds, and 2 steals. This is getting into a situation where he's going to be monitored for 14-team leagues. You've got to consider it. If he's going to get 25 minutes plus a night, he's going to shoot. He's going to play some good on-ball defense, which might translate into steals. You have to consider him. It's impacting what Geordie Clarkson can do, 12-5-2 with 3 steals for Clarkson. But Clarkson at least played 29 minutes, so the owners of Clarkson can... You panic a little less that you only got 25 minutes in the opening too. At this point, Nick Young and Jordan Clarkson are considerably ahead of Lou Williams, and there's no reason to own Lou Williams in standard leagues, in my opinion. Same goes with Brandon Ingram, who shook off that knee issue to play 21 minutes, 9-5 and five with two assists and a steal there. And Tim Mozgov looks like he's going to be in that mid-20s range in minutes, which is still okay, 8-5 and five with a block. I would like him to get a little bit more playing time, though. The, the Lakers are going small a lot. They're running Julius Randle at center. And for some reason, maybe this should have been in the in the dickhead coaching section. Why is Metta World Peace continuing to play? He, he can't jump. He can't run. I don't know what he's possibly bringing to a team on the court. I can understand why his presence will be useful off the court. I can't understand why he's actually getting into games and playing. Jose Coldron also returned from a calf issue that kept him out of the first two games. Onto the Thunder, Steve Adams with a big one, 14 and 12 with three steals and two blocks. There are leagues where he's not owned, believe it or not. Someone tweeted me today saying, should I pick up Steve Adams? I don't understand why that would be the case. He needs to be owned. Vic Oladipo, two good games in a row. Really happy about that. 20 points with four assists and a steal. And Ennis Cantor, after an absolute stinker. Well, he was the dud of the night across the weekend. He had 16 and 6 in 22 minutes. And this is what he can do when he gets the 20-plus minutes. The numbers can come. He's just going to be very fickle in terms of how that playing time comes his way. Another 30 minutes for Andre Robertson. 8 and 5, 3 assists, 1 steal, 1 block. Yep, you've got to look at him now in 12-team leagues as just that 
defensive steals, rebound sort of player. That that might work in his favor. Um, Samaje, I think I, I think it's Samaje he, he pronounced his name, which is just an absolutely it borders on ridiculous and brilliant pronunciation of a name. Samaje Criston played 20 minutes. So he played alongside Russell Westbrook for a chunk of time too. Five, two, and two for him. Deeper leagues will want to pay attention. And DeMontis Sabonis, only seven minutes. Foul trouble got him. He had two fouls in about the first three minutes. Ended up getting four in his seven minutes. Didn't really trouble the scorers, just a steal and a block. But nor did Ersan Ilyasova, who went scoreless in 26 minutes, getting six rebounds. Neither of those guys are your 12-team answers. It was worth getting, grabbing Sabonis with a flyer in the draft at, with your last pick, but that flyer has flown. The Wizards and the Grizzlies, this game went to OT. John Wall was nursing a sore back, but he played, and he played 37 minutes. That's so all systems go. A triple one, 22 and 13. Back to business for John Wall. Also, same for Markeith Morris. 11-7 and seven with two steals, a block, and a three. I've been on his back all season saying he's going to have a good year, and he's, he's rewarded me pretty nicely so far. And Marching Gortat played 38 minutes, went 14-12, and 12, even with a, a hit to the balls as well. So congratulations for Marching. Can continue going after copping one right in the nuts. Big performance from him. He he is going to be, when we hear that Mahinmi's coming back, he is going to be a sell-high candidate to, to me. Because he won't play 38 minutes. He might struggle to get 30 when Mihinmi comes back. Brad Beal with a, an okay night, I think, 14-3. and three, Two triples, two steals, but 17 shots and hitting five of them. He's got to be better than that. He still tantalizes with uh, with play that just doesn't ever really ever get there, I guess, is the way of putting it. Marcus Thornton still in the rotation ahead of Thomas Sataransky. Cannot get behind that. 11 points for, for Thornton and Otto Porter played 36 and he went 13 and 4. So obviously that uh, quote-unquote competition at small forward is done. Kelly Oubre played 15 minutes and, and wasn't awesome in that time. And Porter is a borderline 12-team league guy to me anyway. I understand some people will love it because he, he doesn't get turnovers, but he also doesn't do a huge amount else. 13 and 4, though, is pretty nice. So it's hard to recommend you know, dropping him or anything like that. Kelly Oubre... I talked about him. He's not the name I want to talk about. Andrew Nicholson, first big off the bench, 25 minutes, 8-3 and three with two steals. That works for your 14-team leagues. You should be looking at Andrew Nicholson. On to the Grizzlies. There was no restriction. Well, this team had so much injury news. We had no Chandler Parsons, no Tony Allen, no Brandon Wright, but we had four guys who were questionable, and all four of those guys ended up playing. They made a change to the starting lineup, removing Andrew Harrison and replacing him with Jarrell Martin, moving Jim Ennis down to the two, putting Martin at the three and Jermichael Green at the four, or you know, vice versa for those two guys. Conley, who played very few minutes on Saturday, went to 38 here, 24, 4, and 11 with three triples. A big night from him. Marcus Gasol, they said he was going to have his minutes limit, only played 29. And by only, I mean actually played 29 because I thought he was going to play less. But 20 and 10, he hit four triples, had a steal and a block, and Marcus Gasol threes is a real thing. He is going to continue. Zach Randolph, he just gets his shot up whenever he wants in the bench unit, 22 and seven in 25 minutes with three steals. He's really worth owning at this point and, and putting up good numbers in that bench unit, 39 minutes for Jermichael Green, seven and six with two steals. I like the minutes. He should be held. And Jim Ennis went eight and 12, including a three pointer, not his best shooting night, but he should continue to be owned at least until Chandler Parsons comes back. Now they moved Andrew Harrison out of the starting line, but still found it in their hearts to give him 30 minutes I don't know why. Nine points with three assists. He shouldn't be on your radar, nor should Wade Baldwin after a stellar opening night. He did have four assists and two steals, but no no rebounds, no points, no blocks, no nothing else from Baldwin, and he's a little bit off contributing as a uh, as an everyday fantasy guy. 
the last game of the night, the Dallas Mavericks and the Houston Rockets. This was the game where things were thrown into disarray with Dirk sitting last minute. Wes Matthews had a really good scoring night, 25-5-3 with three triples, but a horrible shooting night, and it just feels like his shot is never going to come back, but he was big down the stretch for this team. He was 9 of 25. Darren Williams had 12 points. He had three triples, three assists, a steal, and a block, and he is providing so far to be a bit of a steal from where, from where you drafted him. We saw Salah Mejri get into the rotation with Dirk out. He played 16 minutes and had two blocks and six points and six boards. Worth, worth noting there, but yeah, he's he's not going to get a huge run, but he did play more than Dwight Powell, who only saw 12 minutes. Now, the two games without Dirk, we've seen Andrew Bogut get 26, and in today's game, 28 minutes. 6 and 14 for Bogut with three assists. I, I think that he should be owned in 12-team leagues, and the pencil didn't do his best work. This was more preseason pencil Harrison Barnes. He was 3 of 11 from the field for 10 points and 5 rebounds, and I mentioned Seth Curry already. Scoreless in 24 minutes. Jim Harden, just a casual 28-7-7 with a steal and a three. Not his greatest night, both from the field and from the line. So he's normally really he's normally awesome from the free throw line. Only was eight from twelve. And was a disappointing uh, sorry, nine from twelve. And he's a disappointing eight from twenty-three from the field. Trevor Reza, six points, but gave you two steals and two threes and seven rebounds. And you didn't own him for big points, you owned him for big steals and big threes. So he came through. A double-double from Ryan Anderson, 14 and 12. But no threes, no steals, no assists, no blocks. This is the concern with him. This is why he was never really, to me, in consideration to be a top 50 sort of guy. But I've liked what Eric Gordon's done, 14 and 3. He's just providing solid value. But deeper league guys, Sam Decker, he looked great tonight. Triple Decker, 9 points with three threes. And just looked active out there. He, he's... He... I wouldn't be shocked if he's a better player than Ryan Anderson by as early as next season. Maybe that's a big call, but I really think Decker has got something to offer this team. He looks you know, spry. He looks he looks good out there. 26 minutes for Clint Capella. Nene played 22. Not a great scoring night for Capella. Only two of seven for four points, but a steal, two blocks, and 10 boards is exactly why you are, why you drafted him. KJ McDaniels and Corey Brewer, just the 16 and 15 minutes respectively for those two guys. Okay, that is that is it for the action from Sunday. I'm going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back to look at the action uh, for Monday, where there's four games, and we're going to preview it from a DFS point of view. Is that the new iPhone? Yeah, got it on T-Mobile. Fastest iPhone deserves America's fastest LTE network. Introducing the amazing iPhone 8. It's the best iPhone yet, now on America's best unlimited network. For a limited time, save up to $300 on the amazing iPhone 8 after 24 monthly bill credits. And now join T-Mobile's iPhone upgrade program for free. Eligible trade-in and finance agreement required. If you cancel service, you may lose promo credits. Contact us for details. Video at 480p. Small fraction of users over 50 gigs per month may have reduced speed. See store for details.
right, guys, we're back. We're going to look at DFS. So let's look at the perfect DFS lineups on both FanDuel and DraftKings for Sunday's action. On FanDuel, it was Russell Westbrook in there at 68.4, despite the fact that he had to spend 13000 on him. He didn't get quite get to 5x value, but he got pretty damn close to it. Mike Conley at 40.3 and Contavious Caldwell-Pope at 35.4. Wes Matthews went for 38.5 at the small forward position, 38.7 for Warren, 31 for Justice Winslow, and then at power forward, Zach Randolph with 33.9, Julius Randolph at 39.3, and at center, rounded out by Andre Drummond at 59.1. That lineup would have given you 384.4 points. On DraftKings, Westbrook gave you 79.5, Wes Matthews at 40.75, Vince Carter at 28.5, Julius Randle 40.75, Drummond 61.75, Contavious Caldwell Pope at 36, TJ Warren at 40, and Pau Gasol at 44.25, and that would have left you with a total of 372 points. So congratulations for everyone who uh, cashed in their lineups today. The first game we're going to look at for Monday is the Sacramento Kings and the Atlanta Hawks. Not a lot that I love on this slate in general. It looks like it's going to be a pretty low-scoring affair. Uh, Mike Scott has been listed as out for the Hawks. I don't think he'd really be much in the rotation anyway, so that's not a big concern. The Kings are all clear apart from Darren Collison. Let's look at the point guards here. Ty Lawson is actually has actually dropped in salary. He's down at 5,100. I think he's a pretty decent guy to look at at that salary. He's averaging across the first three games, he's averaging 26 points, which at 5,100 I think is okay, and it's not a, not a terribly tough matchup uh, defensively, especially what the Hawks have given up so far. Dennis Schroeder. At 6,300, I think that he is worth looking at as well, but I would prefer to take Lawson and save that extra $1,000 there. Malcolm Delaney is purely a tournament punt. He's at minimum salary. He dropped 18 in the game against the Sixers, but he did get some extended run there. Not sure he's going to be in the same situation in this one. For the shooting guards, Aaron Aflalo, well, he's averaging under 13 points for the season. He's at 3,700. That's still too high for me. Kyle Korver is a tournament-only guy. He dropped 24 against the Sixers, which is which is good at 3,800, but I don't have a massive amount of faith in Korver. And Timmy Hardaway Jr., after a big opening night, went down to 14 in the second game, and he's at 3,600. It's it's a nice matchup against the Kings and against Aflalo and McLemore and those sort of guys. Garrett Temple on the wing. Can Hardaway do it again? He's definitely not going to be trusted in a cash game setting, but you'd put him into your your pool of players in a tournament, I think. Small forward, 4,800 for Kent Bazemore. I have zero faith in Kent Bazemore. Let's look at Matty Barnes. He's at 4,300. A huge game for him in the last one. I really do like him at 4,300. I think that even in a cash game, I can get behind using Matt Barnes at that salary. Rudy Gay's been good. He's been more than good, actually, averaging 36 so far across the season. He's at 7,300. Oh. I don't think it's a, a terrible investment to look at Rudy Gay. As we've seen that the offense is going through Gay and it's going through Cousins. You know, Ty Lawson's deferring to those guys. So I think that Gay at 7,300 is worth your time. 4,100 for Thabo Cephalosha. We saw some big games out of him. We saw not a great one against Atlanta, but he can obviously put up some decent numbers. I don't think you should be really trusting Thabo Cephalosha to carry your lineup, though. At power forward, Paulie Millsap, 8,100. Yeah, that's fine. There's some other guys I'd probably prefer at the power forward spot later on, but not not a bad not a bad guy to look at. I like Mike Muscala at 4,200. First big man off the bench, averaging 27 across the first two games. Dropped 29 in the last game. I think you fairly you feel fairly confident you'll get 20 out of Muscala, and that could that could carry your cash game setting to get some other big price players in. Maybe Millsap in there. Um, maybe Boogie Cousins, who we'll talk about 
right now. We'll talk about Cousins out because he's priced at 9,900. You feel that you can get 45 out of Boogie pretty much every time that he plays. And at 9,900, that's that's almost what you need. And you know that he can go for 50 or 60 pretty comfortably. So Cousins is, is definitely a center option. Costa Kufos at minimum salary, eh, he's just not doing enough for me. Whereas Dwight Howard at 7,800, I'd throw out what happened with, against Philadelphia with Dwight. You know, foul trouble and the fact that it was a blowout limited him to under, under 20 minutes. I think that Dwight at 7,800 is okay. I don't think it's the best center option on the board. I would much rather you know, spend up for Boogie and save money by going with a guy like Mike Muscala at other positions to, to get to get Boogie Cousins into my lineup. The next game that's up from a DFS point of view, we're looking at the Chicago Bulls and the Brooklyn Nets. The Bulls are favored by six and the total is 212 points. So that's... Uh, it's a pretty decent size total. We've got a few question marks for Brooklyn. We don't know if Randy Foy is going to play with his hamstring problem. We don't know if General Grievous Vasquez is going to play with his ankle issue that limited him to seven minutes in their last game. So there's some obviously concerns on the wing. I think if the Vasquez one doesn't have too much of an impact. The Foy one might, but probably not. It just likely gives more minutes to Joe Harris. Um, don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on your overall lineup. From the Raptors, I'm not, not doing the Raptors. We'll get to them in a second. Uh, the Bulls, no injury worries to, to really be concerned about. I love Jeremy Lin at 6,500. He, he seems to be immune to Kenny Atkinson's resting strategy at this point. At 6,500, you feel like 30 points is almost in the bag for him. So I do like using Jeremy Lin there. Rajon Rondo at 7,300. No, uh, look, Rondo's been good. He's been putting up the numbers, but he's only averaging 27 points so far. And at $800 less, Lin is comfortably the better option here. Michael Carter-Williams and Vasquez, as I mentioned earlier, they're not going to be worth looking at. I like Sean Kilpatrick, though. When I look at shooting guards, he's at 4,000. I just feel like with Sean Kilpatrick, you're going to get 22 to 24 minutes. You're going to get 15 to 16 points, and you're going to get 20 to 25 daily fantasy points. And at $4,000, I'll take 24 points out of him. He's averaging 22 across the last three. I'll take that. At, as a guaranteed 20, and nothing's guaranteed, but as a, this is probably going to happen, 22 points in 24 minutes at $4,000, I'll happily take that and put some other bigger names into my lineup. Jimmy Butler on the other side, I think he's at 8,000. So if you're wanting to spend up uh, at, at this, well, actually, let's talk let's talk Dwayne Wade first because Jimmy Butler's a, a small forward. I keep forgetting he moved. Dwayne Wade's at 6,900. Eh, that just feels too expensive for me for Wade. And now let's get into Jimmy. Um, Eight thousand for Butler. It's a lot. He hasn't cracked. He hasn't cracked. Um, oh, sorry. He's cracked forty once, just, and that's where he needs to get to that eight thousand. If you've saved enough money by using a guy like Kilpatrick, he, he's not a he's not a terrible guy to use. But I think you can save seven hundred and get Rudy Gay and maybe get a little bit more return. But Butler's not a bad option. You feel like you know, some sort of explosion is going to come soon from him. But he definitely doesn't fill me with that with a massive amount of confidence. Rondo Hollis Jefferson's been terrible so far. He, he's averaging nine point three points across the first three games. He is at almost minimum salary, but his minutes are, are well down at the moment. He's worth throwing into a tournament, but apart from that, it's it's really tough with Rondo and Boyan Bogdanovich at forty three hundred. He's as up and down as they come. Absolutely great tournament option. Uh, pr- pretty horrible cash gameplay. Dougie McDermott had 35 in the last game. Not sure how much faith I put in that to continue. So at 3,800, let's leave him as a a tournament guy. Definitely not putting much long-term faith in that. At center, 5,300 for Robin Lopez. 
Um, no, the minutes are just not there enough for me. Although he has been giving you, you know, not bad numbers, 22 points across the first couple of games, but still at 5,300, I'll go a different direction. Um, we've got uh, Taj Gibson at 54, and he's he's not bad at 54. I don't completely hate that. And Trevor Booker at 5300. I much prefer get, getting behind Trevor Booker at 5300. He's been you know, really good so far, averaging almost 31 and a half points across the first three games. So I think that he should definitely be in consideration. Now Brook Lopez should be back, but there is absolutely no way we can trust him at the moment at 7600. Maybe he's a contrarian tournament option. But that's it. And Justin Hamilton's, he's just too highly priced at 4900 for me. Big game in the opener, but has uh, but has dipped since then. And he's averaging 24 across the last three games um, after he started out with a 33-point game in the opening contest. The next game. This one is the Denver Nuggets and the Toronto Raptors. The the Raptors and the Nuggets, there's been a lot of fantasy value for both these teams so far. The Raptors are favored by seven. The total is 204. For the Raptors, Lucas Bebenoguera is still questionable with his ankle sprain. That's not going to affect too much. I just think if he doesn't play, Jakob Pertl takes his minutes and they, it's 10 or 12 minutes. It's not impacting anyone. I think that we're going to see Pascal Siakam start again, but he's not going to get enough minutes to be useful. And Patrick Patterson will get enough minutes to be useful. He just won't be useful in those minutes. The Nuggets is probably the one we really want to look at whether Gary Harris plays. He's still questionable with that groin issue, and Darrell Arthur's questionable with his knee. Now, if Arthur plays, I'm not sure how much he actually plays, but if Harris plays, he's going to significantly cut into what Will Barton can do, and to a degree, Wilson Chandler. So that's that's something we need to pay attention to before tip-off. Thankfully, all these games start at the same time, with the exception of the, the Phoenix Suns and Los Angeles Clippers games, but the first three all start together. So we'll get an idea of, of what's happening uh, before lineups lock, unless uh, someone pulls a Dirk Nowitzki on us. At point guard, Kyle Lowry is at 7,400. His salary continues to drop. This is a good matchup for Lowry. He has definitely not shown us anything at this point. He's only averaging 24 across the first couple of games for the Raptors, but at 7,400 with a salary that's dropping, you know, Lowry can easily give you $85, $8,800 worth of value. Now, is this just a case of the way that Dwayne Casey is using this offense now, and he's going DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas, as opposed to DeRozan Lowry? I don't know. I wouldn't want to be spending 7400 on Lowry in a cash game, but I would be really interested in a tournament and, and thinking that he could go out there and drop 40 or drop 50, and, and you'd be pretty happy with that sort of return. Emmanuel Moody at 5900 a really horrible matchup against the Raptors. They do stifle opposition point guards, and they do restrict what they can do fantasy-wise, but he was really good against Portland. But there's a difference between playing Damian Lillard or playing against Kyle Lowry defensively. So at 5,900, you're, you're wanting Moody to get to 30 points, and I'm just not sure how confident you should be in that. Corey Joseph, Jamal Murray, Jameer Nelson, they're all backup point guards that won't have much impact. Shooting guards. DeMar Rosen has been great. He's only at 7,900. He's giving you 40-plus a night. Maybe this is the one where it drops off, but uh, the, defensively, this is not a concern, especially if Gary Harris doesn't play. So DeRozan is, is someone we, we can definitely look at using here. I think he'll be a, I think it'll be a, a good option to use. Willie Barton at 5,300. If Harris is out, then that's great. If Harris is in, then it, it is somewhat of a concern for, for Barton that maybe he loses four, five, six minutes even, maybe even eight minutes off his playing time. We'll see how they run it, but that, that is a legit concern for Barton, so that's something we need to watch before tip. Gary Harris, I wouldn't be using him in his first game back, and Norm Powell, unfortunately, is out of the rotation. I like Damari Carroll from the small forwards. He's at 4,600. 
He's uh, given us 23 so far across the first three games. Looked a lot better in, uh, well, across the first two games, sorry. Looked a lot better in game two. Had 30, uh, 26 points there at 4,600 with a matchup against Danilo Gallinari. Uh, I think you should be pretty happy with using Damari Carroll. As for Gallinari, he's at 6,900. That just feels too expensive for the output that he's bringing. Power forwards, Nikola Jokic at 6,100. He exploded in the in the second game. 55 points for Jokic. At, at 6,100, do I have much confidence in it? No, I wouldn't lock it into a cash game, but he, he is good. He is really good. And at 6,100, you know, with a matchup of Patrick Patterson and Jonas Valanciunas, he, he can take advantage of those guys. Um, the problem is that maybe Valanciunas gets a hold of him defensively, and, and that could be a concern. But for a tournament, 6,100 for Jokic is, is definitely in play. Patrick Patterson, I touched on earlier, will be leaving him alone, same as Pascal Siakam. Ken Farid is at 5,500, and normally I'd say, you know what, Farid's closing game out, he's putting closing games out, he's putting up numbers, but at 5,500, he's just priced too high. He's averaging 27.5 over the three games, and that, that's great over the two games. That's great, but at 5,500, that means he needs to do exactly what he's done in these last two games to bring you back value, and that means that you know, I don't have faith that he's getting two steals and two blocks a game like he has in the last couple of games. I just don't have faith that Kenneth Farid, Kenneth Farid will do that. So, no, it's it's a no from me. Centers. Yusuf Nurkic at 5,200. The, the troubling um, theme of him not playing second halves is, is a worry. He's still putting up the numbers. He's averaging 32 in the first two games at 5,200. Uh, but there is a real concern that he just doesn't play enough minutes. But on, on the other hand, you can say, well, he's getting that. And then what if Malone plays him eight minutes in the second half? Then he might score 40. So he, he is a real option. A shaky option. The other side, Jonas Valanciunas at 6,400. I like what the Raptors are doing with him. Um, I think he's got a real chance for a big game here. So I think that he at 6,400 makes it makes for a pretty a pretty decent, a pretty solid play. The last game of the night is two teams who both played on Sunday, so both on back to backs. The Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. At the time of recording, there is no spread release for this one. I imagine it's going to be relatively high paced, and the Clippers will be you know, pretty high pretty high favorites. Injury-wise, DeAndre Jordan we're looking at, but x-rays were negative, so he is likely to play. At point guard, Eric Bledsoe has been been solid. He's at 7,400, had 37 today against the Warriors. Not sure I love that against Chris Paul, but it is his former team. Maybe there's something there. I think he can do better at point guard than the new Bledsoe, but he's not out of consideration, whereas 9,300 for Chris Paul. I think that maybe the Suns keep it a little bit closer than what the Jazz did today. So at 9300, Chris Paul going up against uh, going up against the Suns in a high pace matchup. I don't mind that if you've uh, saved some money in other spots. Austin Rivers, Ray Felton. I don't think we can really get behind using them. Devin Book has been not good. He's at 6100. Um, he's a tournament only option at, at this point, and JJ Reddick's probably a nothing option to me. To be honest, I just don't have much faith there. Same with Brandon Knight at 5,800. I just can't get behind spending that on him, nor 4,900 on Jamal Crawford, although he's a, a tournament guy that can, can obviously get hot and heat up at times and put up some big numbers. The small forward position, TJ Warren, I love it at 5,500. He's been playing sensationally well. The salary has risen by 500 bucks, but that's not that's not dissuading me. He's he's going to give you 30 points, it feels like, on most nights. So I, I like getting TJ Warren in. The Clippers small forwards, Marmute, Wes Johnson, not really uh, not really much interest. Blake Griffin for the power forwards at 9,000. It's expensive, but I think 
that that he's he's going to be the pick of the power forward bunch that's out there, and he is worth considering. And yeah, a tournament stack of Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, I think, could could work in your favour. I think that might be a, a nice little pairing of those two guys. Jared Dudley at almost minimum salary, thirty eight hundred. He had a decent game today, but not enough to really get me uh, overly excited. Mo Spates, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender. None of those guys, I don't think, should be touching your lineups. At center, DeAndre Jordan's at 7,500. Hasn't really lived up to what we wanted him to do yet. At 7,500, though, I think that you can consider him in a tournament situation. And what about Tyson Chandler at 4,200? What's he going to do coming off a back-to-back here? Will he play 28 minutes again? Will he get limited? I like him in a tournament. He's put up some pretty decent numbers at 4,200. But in a cash game setting, it's going to be pretty tough to rely upon him. And if you want to pivot in a tournament and think that maybe they don't play Chandler as many minutes on a back-to-back and give Alex Len 27 or 28, then Alex Len at 4,600 might be that guy that really does blow up. And that could be a could be another way of looking at it, I guess. All right, that is the four games done for Monday. Let's have a look at the DFS picks of the day. On Fangio, Jeremy Lin at 6,500 and Chris Paul at 9,300, a couple of point guards I like. Shooting guard, Kilpatrick at 4,000, DeMar DeRozan, 7,900, are a couple of shooting guards. The small forwards, Damari Carroll, 46, TJ Warren, 55, and Jim Butler, 8,000. Power forwards, Mike Muscala, 42, Nikola Jokic, 61, and Blake Griffin, 9,000. And the centers, Tyson Chandler, as I just touched on, at 4,200. Jonas Valanciunas at 64, and DeMarcus Cousins at 99. On DraftKings, Austin Rivers at 3,300. More of a tournament option, but that's a really cheap salary. Jeremy Lin at 63, and Chrissy Paul at 85. Sean Kilpatrick at 36, DeMar DeRozan 73, and Matty Barnes at 3,800. TJ Warren, 54. Damari Carroll at 4,500. He's got dual eligibility over there. Nikola Jokic at 7,000, and Blake Griffin at 8,800. And the centers, Mike Muscala at 32, Jonas Valanciunas at 67, and DeMarcus Cousins at 10,800. All right, guys, we are done. A couple of new T-shirt designs have gone up in the T-shirt store, which is tpublic.com slash user slash redrock underscore b-ball. I think 13 designs are up there at the moment, and each T-shirt you buy goes to helping support the show. So thank you to everyone who's done that. Basketball Monster, the rest of the Locked On Network, check out all that stuff. Follow me on Twitter at redrock underscore b-ball. We are done here, guys. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Robin Lopez.